study through the 23rd Psalm, uh, somebody came up to me, uh, or actually we were shaking hands, and said, you're going to talk about sheep today? And I uh, said, no, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about people today, so I think, I don't know, he, last week he told me, he said, that was, uh, I enjoyed that more than Animal Planet, so uh, I don't know what that means exactly, but today we're just going to be kind of focusing on people, so I hope you won't be too, too disappointed. Um, you know, whenever I was a kid, the only people who had tattoos were people who were in the military. And I remember in our last church, we had a couple of Marines in the church. One of the guys had a, he's probably in his 70s back then, he'd be, you know, he'd be in his 80s now, and he had, a, he had an anchor on his forearm. Uh, another guy had a, a, a Hawaiian girl in a grass skirt on his bicep. And he used to sit there and he'd flex and go, look, she's dancing. And I'd look at it and I was thinking, yeah, she looks fat to me when you do that. So it didn't look all that good to me. But uh, now, just about, you know, people from all different walks of life, Get tattoos. I was at the YMCA and uh, you know, I was pumping some heavy iron. Actually, I work on the treadmill, so I was on the treadmill running. And I saw this one guy there, and he had the you know the bob wire around his bicep. Which, y'all, I'll be honest, I I don't know what you think about tattoos. I think that looks really cool, and I would like to have that, except for it'd be like one barb, and so I can't ever get that. And so that guy's working out, you know, and then there's a, a girl that was there, and she had a she had a butterfly on her ankle, and I don't know what that means, but, you know, anyway. So I know, though, that as people get older, some people think, you know, I'd like, I wish I hadn't gotten that tattoo. I, you know, I wish I could get rid of it. And there is a process known as laser ablation that you can use in order to get rid of that tattoo. And what they do is, or what the laser is able to do is when they put it on the tattoo, it's able to with or to vaporize, basically, the ink that's underneath the skin. And, uh, I, I, again, I'm not making any kind of statements on, on tattoos. And, uh, I, you know, I really I don't care what you think about them, and you probably don't care what I think about them. But I started thinking about, about it in a spiritual matter, and I thought, you know, I think there's probably some of us here today who say, you know what, in my life, I've been tattooed by a lot of different stuff. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff that's, you know, just absolutely marked my life that I wish wasn't there anymore. And I wish that I could get rid of it. And so I would, I would like to find out, is it possible for some of those, some of those things, some of those dings that I've got in my life, is there any way that they can be hammered out? And that's one of the neat things that we're going to see today in our scriptures. We go through the 23rd Psalm. We're just looking at verse number 3 today. And so if you have your Bible, you can just turn there. and We'll look at Psalm 23, verse 3, right in the middle of your Bible. And what we're going to see is that David shares with us that God has the ability, regardless really of where we've been and what we've done, he has the ability to restore us. And that's one of, my, one of the neat things about all of scripture. Uh, when you look at David, King David is the man who wrote this wrote this psalm. It was it's assumed by most scholars that he wrote this as he as he was coming to the to the latter part of his life, which makes verse number three stand out to me even more. And the reason why is because King David was a man who was definitely in need of restoration. Um, if you read about David, you'll see some interesting things about him. He was a very popular leader. Before he was ever the king of Israel, um, he had already been blessed by God to be a special person, a special leader. And the entire nation of Israel fell in love with David. I mean, the Bible tells us he was a good-looking guy. 
Um, he just had a natural charisma about him. People wanted to follow David. David loved God. I mean, he was a man that was passionate about God. As a matter of fact, we're told in Acts 13.22, this is what, what God says, or what it says about God. It says, after removing Saul, after God did this, it says he made David their king, and he testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I tell him to do. So David's a really interesting guy. But as you read more and more about David, what you discover about David is he was a flawed man. Uh, he was a man who had a bunch of different tattoos in his life that needed to be removed. You look through his life, you see David was a guy that, I mean, he failed, really he failed his family. Um, he failed in relationships. He failed God. He failed his entire nation. And so David knew this. David knew that, that he was in trouble, but he looked to God for restoration. And here's what, what he said in Psalm 50, verses 1 and 2. He said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And I, I look at that verse, and I look at so many of the things that David wrote, and I just, I just identify with them. Have you ever called out to God before? Oh, God, have mercy on me. God, I am just, I am a messed up person. Lord, I need restoration in my life. And I, I can think of some, some areas, and really three major areas, where most of us could use restoration in our lives. And the areas that I, that I see today are based off of what we look at in our scripture today. And I really believe this. I believe God has the ability and the power to restore you when you allow him to remove guilt. Now, I really think that an area of restoration that many of us need in our lives is we are carrying around so much guilt in our lives that, that we don't know what to do. And if we're going to find freedom and we're going to find hope in God we have to, and we're going to be restored, we have to allow God to remove our guilt. Now, if you look in verse number 3 again, it says, He restores my soul. And then He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. But He restores my soul. Nothing will destroy a person's soul quicker than guilt. In Psalm 38, verses 4 and 6, here's what David said. He said, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. Now, a lot of us struggle with guilt. And one of the reasons why we struggle with guilt is because we're guilty. Yeah, because we do things that we shouldn't do, because we make mistakes, because we're human beings and, and we fail. We fail people and we fail God. The problem, though, is that we end up carrying that guilt with us. And it's really difficult for us to get away from that guilt. If you're a person who struggles with guilt, you struggle because it's hard to get away from. Now, you can try to remove yourself from the situation that has caused you to feel guilty, but it still travels with you in your mind. And because of that, we, we try to deal with guilt in a lot of different ways. And when we try to deal with guilt, we say, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to try to, I'm putting my past, I'm going to bury it, try to hide from it. And it sounds really good, and you know, we, we hide our guilt, we bury our guilt, and just try to put it out of our minds. But guilt has this incredible power of resurrecting itself from the dead. 
You know, there's something that can just kind of pop up and it just reminds you of some of the guilt that you have in your life and, and it, it comes back into your life again. And so, and so we struggle with, with guilt because we can't keep it down in the ground long enough. Others of us try to minimize our guilt. And we say, you know, well, you know, other people have done what I've done. You know, it's really not that big of a deal. And so we try, to, we try to push it away and minimize it, yet if it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, why does it continue to hound us? And then some of us try to deal with our guilt by blaming it, on, blaming it on other people. You know, I acted that way because that person was a jerk to me first. Um, I acted that way or I responded in this way because that person forced me to do that. And so those are some different ways that we can try to deal with guilt. And yet what I've discovered is none of those things actually remove the guilt. Now, how, how can guilt be removed? Well, it's only through Jesus. And it's only if we allow him to remove it. In Romans 3.23, and I, I think that's a verse that those of you who grew up in the church are familiar with, it says, for all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. But look at verse number 24. It says, but we are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. One of the most basic truths about about Christianity is that Jesus Christ paid for our sin on a cross. That he died for us. That he gave himself for us. Now, where we get in trouble is where we try to handle that guilt ourselves and we try to remove it. You can't do it because nobody has the power of forgiveness. Nobody has the ability to erase our sin except for God. God alone only has that power. No psychologist can talk to you enough to where he can remove the guilt and the forgiveness that you've got. There's nothing that you can do in your mind enough to eliminate that guilt. It is only the sacrifice of Jesus that can remove your guilt. He died that you might be forgiven. Now you might say, well, that sounds good. But man, I pray every day and I ask God to forgive me, and yet I still feel guilty. You ever felt that way before? Now I've asked God to forgive me every day, and yet I still feel guilty. You know what happens when we do that? It is a demonstration, really, and, and I do, I've done this too. It's a demonstration of a lack of faith. Where we are saying, God, I don't believe that you could forgive me the first time. I, I am asking you over and over again, because I just really don't believe that you forgive me, can forgive me. And I want you to know that kind of an attitude is not an attitude that comes from God. I mean, if self-flagellation is not, that, it does not make you more spiritual. To just continually to whip yourself and beat yourself up and say, God can never forgive me for what I've done. It will not make you more pure. What does God desire for us? To trust him. That when he says he can remove our guilt, when he says he can restore our soul, to trust him to do it. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he removed the evidence of our guilt that we might have freedom. Now the question is, do you trust him in that? I mean, do you really believe that? You might remember this past Christmas, there's a story at, um, I can't remember what state it was in. There's a Walmart where people had put a bunch of stuff, a bunch of items on layaway and they went in if y'all remember this they went in to the store for the lay the things they put away on layaway and and somebody an anonymous donor had come in and had paid for everybody's everybody's debt all their layaway stuff and they, they walk in they say you don't know anything somebody somebody came in and paid for it now is that awesome now, that's really cool i think gosh why does that always happen elsewhere that'd be nice if it happened to me 
Um, so anyway, so that, you know, that, that's really cool, but how foolish would it be, or would it make any sense if you went in there and somebody, they said, hey, somebody's already paid off your, they, your layaways, it's, it's, somebody's already paid the debt. And you said, man, that's great, but you know what, I still need to, be, I still need to make payments on it. Does that make any sense? And I make, I make, when something's been paid for, you can't pay for it anymore. You know, it's, it's impossible. It's already been paid for. And that is the idea with the Lord. You see, God says, I can remove your guilt because I've already paid for it. And I went to the cross that died for you. And yet you guys keep coming back saying, thank you, but I still need to pay for it and do something else to make it right. Yet all that God's calling for us to do is to trust him that he can remove the guilt that we have. So can we be restored? Yeah, when we allow him to remove our guilt. You're willing to allow him to do that. Can God restore us? Yes, God can restore. Secondly, when we allow him to relieve our grief. Now, again, in verse number three, I'm just going to read the first part. It says, he restores my soul. Here is a fact of life. Grief happens. Happens to everybody. Now, for some of you, it happens because of what somebody has done to you. Uh, for others, grief occurs because of what, uh, because of no fault of our own. It's just you know, it's just a part of life. The question is, how am I going to handle it when my heart is broken? You know, how am I going to deal with a situation? Am I going to throw a pity party? Am I going to play the if-only game? What if things had been different? Well, you know what, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't really matter because it won't be different. The question is, how am I going to deal with it? And here's the good news. We're told that the good shepherd, Jesus, can restore our souls. David understood what grief was. There were some times in his life when he was racked with grief. In Psalm 31.9, he said, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm in misery. My eyes are weak from so much crying, and my whole being is tired from grief. But while David was tired from grief, he discovered some tips that could help him handle his grief in 2 Samuel. In our text in 2 Samuel that we're going to look at in a moment, this is a time when David had, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. When you think of David, there's really two basic things you think about David. Uh, one of them is this situation where he failed his family. What's the other one? Goliath. You know, killing somebody and committing adultery. So and those are two things that you think of whenever you think of David. And so David is in a situation where he's failed God miserably. He's carrying around guilt because of it. And so what does he do? He calls out to God in Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins always before you. And against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. So you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. For David to have restoration, the first step is he had to, he had to confess his guilt. God, I'm guilty. I, I messed up. And whenever David did this, it was the first step to freedom for him. Now, unfortunately, David still played the consequences of sin. And David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. The result of that is a child came out of that relationship. Now, the sad thing is that child ended up dying. David had to learn how to deal with grief. 
through that whole situation. He had to deal with his guilt, which was he was in that situation because of something he'd done wrong. So he comes to God. He confesses it to God. And then he has grief because his son dies. And it's really interesting. As his son dies, he, he mourned and he grieved for his son. But there came a time when it says when, when David quit grieving, he said he got up, he quit fasting, and he began to move forward. And, and, and this is how he began to move the, the process of where he began to move through his grief. So he began to move through his grief when he began to realize that the past was never going to change. And if we're going to move through grief, as we have to be like David and begin to understand, you know, the past is never going to change. Now, that doesn't mean we don't cherish people. If you lose someone, it doesn't mean you don't cherish them. You can't change the past, though. You have to begin to look forward and to move forward, understanding that you're still here and that God still has a plan for your life. Another thing that David did to move through his grief is he began to focus on what was left and not what was, on, not what was lost. And a lot of us, we, we, we are mired down in grief because we always keep looking back to all the stuff that was lost without realizing we still got a lot of stuff left. David decided, I'm going to focus on what's left instead of what's lost. Because God has left you here, he has you here, to deal with those things that you're still with. Whenever I was a, a kid, I, I, ran, I ran track. And it was, I wasn't any good at it. I just did it because it was, uh, it was something I could do in between basketball and baseball. And so I wanted to you know, try to stay in shape. And so I ran. I, ended up run, I ran the mile. And I ran the mile because nobody else wanted to run it. And uh, so you know, I'd, I'd run the mile, and I remember when we had practiced, the coach would always tell us, you know, if you, you know, when you run, it'd be kind of a tendency to kind of look around while you're running. And he'd tell us not to, don't turn around, don't look. So keep your eyes straight ahead, keep focused on the finish line. Now the reason why is because if, if, if you're a runner, you know that if you turn, you end up breaking your stride, and you slow down. Um, if you look behind you long enough, of course, you're going to end up running off the track, you know, because you don't see where you're going. Now, for me, I would, I, when I would run, I had a tendency to do that, just to, 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 look, to look around me. And it wasn't because I was looking to see how far ahead I was of everybody else. I just want to make sure I didn't get lapped. And so our coach was like, man, don't be looking behind you. Now, in a similar sense, if we're going to move through grief, there comes a time we have to quit looking behind and look ahead. Because if we keep looking back... You know, we, we break our stride, we slow down, we get off the path that God desires for us to be on. Now, is restoration possible? Yes, it's very possible. It's possible because of who God is. It's possible if we allow him to remove our guilt. It's possible if we allow him to relieve our grief. And that's the last thing I want you to see. Restoration is also possible if we allow God to replace our grudges. Allow God to replace our grudges. Now, verse number 3 again, it says, He restores my soul. Again, just a, a quick little note here. Everybody gets hurt. Every one of you is going to have a relationship at some time or another where the person is going to let you down. Where a person is going to disappoint you, where a person is going to anger you. And the big question we have to deal with is, am I going to allow that hurt and disappointment, am I going to allow it to make me bitter, or am I going to allow it to make me better? Now, if you, if you choose the course of bitterness, bitterness has the ability to dominate your life. 
I've seen people who've been bitter, and that is the number one trait in who they are. You can see it in their face. You can see it in every conversation they have. They go back to how they've been wronged, and they hang on to it forever. Uh, Job wrote about this, or talked about this, in the book of Job. And you might know the story of Job. Job was a guy, not everything went his way. And it was very easy, it would have been very easy for him to be bitter. But here's what Job said in Job 5.2. He said, resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. Isn't that interesting? Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. Holding on to grudges... We like to hang on to them. But you know what? It never does anything to the person that you're, who's, who's hurt you. When you hang on to a grudge, the only person you are hurting is yourself. And you're allowing that other person who's wronged you to have victory over your life, to reach from the past into the present in order to torment you. So how do I handle grudges? How am I restored from that? Romans 12:19 says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, whenever whenever we're wronged, it is not our responsibility to make everything right. When we've been wronged, we are to, to simply say, you know what, I'm going to allow God to deal with this. And I'm going to bring it to him. I'm going to leave it at his feet. Y'all, I promise you, I understand. I understand that it's easier said than done. But I, I'm not, and so I want you to know this is not necessarily me speaking from the flesh. It's speaking from the Bible. It is, it, that's difficult to do, but this is what we are supposed to do. It is to bring our, the people who've wronged us before God and say, God, you know what? I'm going to allow you to deal with them. And I'm not going to dwell on it anymore. Now, why would we want to do that? Here's why. One, God is just. Two, God will handle, he will handle it. In the right way. Because I've learned when I try to handle it myself, when I've been wronged, and this is, it's happened before, and I've tried to avenge myself, and it happens more often than it should, I end up doing far more damage than had I just let it go. Typically what happens to me is I overreact, and I end up being worse than the offending party. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to leave it at the Lord's feet And then I'm to offer forgiveness to the offending party and move on. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That's a good reminder to me. When I'm wronged, I have a tendency to look at myself as completely innocent. And you do too. When When we're wronged, it's easy to sit back and go, How could anybody ever do anything wrong against me? Because I, I have never done anything bad in my life. Because I am a perfect person. And yet, I have to remember this. I have to remember that there are times when I have been an absolute jerk to other people as well. And you know what? So have you. There are times when we have screwed up and failed and we have been rude and mean to others. So what's our best response when we've been wronged? It is to imitate Jesus. Remember, Jesus went to a cross and he died for us. You know who put him on the cross? Our sin did. And yet, because of that, Jesus was still willing to love us and to restore us and to forgive us. You know, there's something truly powerful about forgiveness. When you forgive others, not only are you releasing them, you are giving yourself the opportunity to have freedom. 
When you give forgiveness, you are moving forward and leaving behind the person who's hurt you. And you're not allowing them and what they've done to dominate your life. It brings freedom. But when you don't forgive, it enslaves you. There's a story I heard a number of years ago. It was a, a little boy visiting his grandparents, and he had gotten a slingshot. He was real excited about it, so he went out in the yard, and he began to you know, try to shoot at different stuff. He had set up a target, could never hit the target. It was driving him crazy. As he's sitting there practicing with a slingshot, his grandmother's pet duck walks by. And he's thinking, man, that'd be cool just to you know, take a shot at it. And so he hadn't hit anything all day, and lo and behold, the one thing he hits is his grandma's duck. And man, just a good old South Carolina saying, he killed it dead. I mean, he pulled that thing back, and he hit the duck, and it just fell over, and he was shocked. And he was like, oh, my gosh. And he jumps up. He's scared to death. He runs over, he grabs that duck, and he tries to hide it. And he just shoves it under, under a wood pile. Now, here's the bad news. Other than the fact that he killed the duck, his sister saw it. And it was his younger sister, and she comes over to him, and she said, I saw what you did. He's like, oh, please, don't tell. And she tells him, she said, I'm going to tell Grandma. And so they go inside to eat, and they sit down, and she doesn't say anything. The boy's nervous, and uh, whenever they get finished eating, the grandma says, Sally, I need you to come help me do the dishes. And she goes, no, she goes, that's all right. She goes, I'd love to, but Davey said he wanted to tonight. And she looks over at him, and she says, if you don't do it, I'm going to tell. And so he gets up and says, yeah, I said that. So he gets up, he does the dishes. The next morning, the grandfather gets up. He says, hey, Dave, I want you to go, I want you to go fishing with me. And uh, Sally comes in and says, no, I want to go with you. Dave said he wanted to help Grandma make lunch. And then she looks at him, and he goes, yeah, I really do. <laughs> this went on for several different days. And finally, after it had been going on for a while, it, it, he's just worn out. He's tired, and he goes to his grandma, and he breaks down. He's crying. He said, Grandma, I killed your duck. He said, I got that stupid slingshot. And I aimed at it. I didn't mean to because I didn't hit anything. And he goes, and I hit your duck. And the grandma looked at him, and she said, Davey, she said, I know you did. He said, I was looking out the window, and I saw you do it. And she said, but you know what? Because I love you, she said, I forgave you. She said, I've been just watching, though, and I was wondering how long you're going to allow Sally to make you a slave. Now, guys, let me tell you something. There is freedom that comes with forgiveness. There is freedom that comes with moving beyond our past and looking to the future. And yet there's a lot of us who have allowed ourselves to be enslaved by things that have taken place in the past because we weren't willing to forgive, because we weren't willing to bring them before God and say, God, you've got to deal with this. I can't do it on my own. And because of that, we are broken people. But I look at verse number 3 today, and I find hope there. And I look at the man who wrote it, and I find hope there. And again, I look at verse number 3, and it says, He restores my soul. Any of you here today need restoration? My guess is there's got to be at least one person here who's been hanging on to a grudge for a long time, a wrong for a long time. And it's time for you to just simply bow in prayer and say, God, I am so sick of carrying this burden, and I'm going to lay it at your feet. And God, I'm going to forgive that other person. 
Because I don't want to keep looking behind. I want to look ahead and see what you have in store for me. Some of you just, you just simply need to talk to God today. Others of you are, are looking for forgiveness yourself. And you're looking to be restored. You've never been restored in your life. And it's time for some of you just simply to turn to the Lord and say, God, I, I need your forgiveness. I need restoration from you. And so I want to encourage you to call out to God. To ask Him to take the broken pieces of your life and put them together. Thank you.